Amen. Thank you, ladies. Second Peter 3.18, we were looking at that. I don't know how much rain you all got, but it's been a rainy day. Hope it helps some of the drought here in Oklahoma. And if it knocks down all the <clears throat> stuff that makes my eyes itchy, that's, that's a benefit. Look forward to that too. Second Peter 3.18, the summary in this sermon, we're examining two more keys to spiritual growth. We're on week four. And today we continue on these keys and from the foundational text, 2 Peter 3.18, which is, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and ask you to help us to grow in that grace, to use these spiritual keys to develop ourselves and to trusting you and bearing more fruit. We know we can because you said we could, but sometimes we're hesitant. Help us to do that and be willing to turn ourselves over to you that we might grow. We pray in your name, amen. In his book, Folk Psalms of Faith, Ray Steadman tells a story about a school teacher who had been teaching for 25 years and uh, within the school they post uh, positions and there was a new position that was going to uh, be opening up and if she took it, it, it would be for her a promotion and so she applied for the position. Uh, however, somebody who'd only been teaching for like two years got hired and she was frustrated and, and you know went to the principal and asked why in the world would you hire somebody who'd just been teaching for two years when I've been teaching for 25 years and the principal said, no, you're, you misunderstand. You claim to have 25 years experience, but you only have one year of experience that you've replicated for 25 years. She never tried to develop herself during that period of time. I've worked with people like that before. But you could tell they just, they're holding a position and they're not really trying or doing anything different. I think some Christians find that they have had very little growth, even if they may spiritually uh, be 25 years old or older, uh, but they really only have one year of Christianity in them. It just seems in the level of maturity they've never developed. The goal for this series is to get keys to developing growth. Uh, do, we, do we need to stop and say anything? Okay, good. All right, good. Okay, we just want to make sure no babies on the way. Uh, but to give you the keys to help you to implement spiritual growth in your life. And so tonight we look at two more of those. There's a story about <clears throat> being high in the Alps. If you ever go there, which I won't, <laughs> I don't think I with asthma could do that. But if you were to go to the Alps and get high enough, you would find a monument. And in that monument, which was, was given to someone who had tried to ascend to the peak and someone came to rescue them and in the, in the midst of that rescue of a stranded tourist, the one who sought to rescue died. So they put a monument and in the monument it said the inscribed words, he died climbing. He died climbing. My hope is that the very same attitude would be in our lives, that right up to the very end, we would be seeking to grow and to climb for the Lord, to develop and to get more spiritual fruit. 
So tonight, the two keys that we're looking at are these, trusting God and bearing fruit. Trusting God and bearing fruit. First of all, trusting God. I think the first key to spiritual growth in trusting God, uh, contrary to the impression given uh, in modern religion, I think, many times, it's with massive buildings and impressive programs and giant budgets that that may be the thing that glorifies God. I can point at numbers and buildings and, and all the things that we're doing. I'm a busy, busy group of people. But the Bible tells us that, that toward the end there will be a lot of busyness, but no maturity, no growth, no development. Let me give you some examples of trusting God. Let me share with you two examples, I think, that help us to glorify God by trusting him. The first one, of course, is, is when we look in the Old Testament and think about Abraham. If you read in Romans chapter 4, verses 19 through 20, we read this. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. And yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. When you read that passage, you see how the Apostle Paul, I think, glorified God and showed a way that someone trusted God. By looking at an Old Testament example in Abraham, here's somebody who you would look at and go, there's no way these people could have a child. And yet God promised that that was going to happen, and it did. And so he had to believe through faith. Abraham believed God's promise that they would bear children that they'd have a son. And it was by trusting God, unwavering, it says there, trusting God, that he showed his faith and glorified God because he was telling the story that this was going to happen. I think professing to believe what God has said is much easier than actually trusting him. We can say the words, but really if we cracked ourselves open, would we find belief on the inside? Would we find faith on the inside? I can say it with my mouth, but do I really believe on the inside that I can trust God to do the things that he said he's going to do? The Bible says when we give money, even, there needs to be a proper motive uh, to God. And so you, you look in Matthew chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that in your giving it may be secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We say we believe the principle that God rewards giving, but also find that, I think, difficult to practice. We've all heard stories about people who uh, develop and get millions of dollars and then all of a sudden have difficulty thinking about giving because now we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars instead of $10 a week. It really changes people. Do I really trust in God enough to, to put into practice what I believe? Or take another example. Some Christians fear death. And even though God has said he'll provide us with grace, we need to face death and take us to heaven afterwards. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that's what's going to happen? I mean, I mean that's what God said, but do, do, do we live a life that's wondering? I've, I've been at the graveside of many families who have wondered. But I've also been at the bedside of somebody who was dying who had no doubt that that's where they were going, that the Lord was going to meet them. And in just a matter of moments, they would be in the presence of the Lord. That, to me, was great faith. You remember when Abraham's 
uh, promised son Isaac had grown to be a young boy, God told him to kill as a, him as a sacrifice. And so Abraham went up the mountain, took Isaac, he laid him on the altar, he tied him down, he took the knife. He was ready to plunge the knife into Isaac's heart. But the angel stopped him. And God provided a ram as a substitute. You know that from Genesis 22. Abraham obeyed God because he was confident that God would provide. Isn't that what he told his son on the way up? God will provide. Where's the, where's the ram? Where's the lamb? Where, where's the sacrifice, Father? God will provide. God will provide. How can you possibly fulfill the covenant if you kill your son? He didn't wonder. He didn't waver. He believed that God would provide and do what he said. I don't think he ever thought that he'd never seen anybody resurrected. There wasn't a story of Jesus uh, resurrecting his friend. He didn't know what resurrection would be, but he just believed that God would do what God would do and fulfill his promise. He believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead, even though he had never seen or heard of resurrection. But he believed what God could do. I think trusting God's means... We acknowledge his glory. And, and we look at the sum of all his attributes, of, of everything that is God and the fullness of his majesty and who he is, and we believe and we obey. Because of who God is, I will believe and I will obey. Because of what he has done, I trust him. When I grow spiritually, I, 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 I want to say to God, if your word says it, I believe it. You know? I want to believe what your word says. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if I want to say I claim it. I, I'm really uncomfortable with the claim it and name it kind of theology. But I certainly will read God's word and believe what he says. If his word commands it, I want to obey it. Because I trust God. I believe God. And in that, I'll be able to develop. I think a second example of glorifying God by trusting him is that of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, we look at their story and we look at how he dealt with Nebuchadnezzar and the image of himself as he commanded his subjects and you need to bow down and worship, you know, me and this idol and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego said, no, don't think that's going to happen. We're only going to worship God. In Daniel 3.13, it says, Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar was angry. He was wroth. There's a good word, isn't it? Wroth. He was very angry with these Jewish young men because they would not worship the image he made of himself. They would only worship the true and living king. Only he is worthy of worship. And they wouldn't worship a false or fake idol only Jehovah. In verses 14 and, and 15 of, of Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar said, It is true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of the gold I have set up. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. Nebuchadnezzar put their trust in God to the test. Really? You believe in that kind of God? Let's see. Let's see if you really believe. If you don't fall down and worship, then this is what's going to happen. And he said, nobody will be able to save you then. At least that's what he thought. 
I wonder what in that moment struck in their mind that they actually believed that this was doable, that they could handle. They could handle what Nebuchadnezzar was handing out. They couldn't see God, but they could see Nebuchadnezzar. They couldn't see the hosts of, of their God, but they could see the formidable army of Nebuchadnezzar all around them, right? I mean, <laughs> that, they were obvious. And yet they weren't going to bow down. They weren't going to do that. So here's how they replied, verses 16 and 18 through 18. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. We are pressured in our society many, many times to fall down before a golden idol of some kind. Worship this law. This law says you have to do this. And it breaks what we believe is faith with God. Um, don't talk about something in public. You know, here recently uh, in, in one of the Finnish countries, uh, someone was put to trial because they spoke words from the Bible which were interpreted as hate speech. We are not far behind. We are not far behind. Will we fall down and worship the golden idol of the law? Or will we follow the law of the Lord? So they trusted in God to deliver them out of the fire. But if not, fine. We're still not going to worship your stuff. Because it's not real, it's not true. 19 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Soldiers who put the young men into the furnace were burned to death because it was so hot. And that amazing? I mean, they opened the door, and they got so close when they threw them in, it burned them up. You read verses 22 and 23, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego really did trust God. There was no human way to escape their predicament, but they believed in the impossible that was possible with God. And in their case, God provided a miraculous. See anybody in there? Oh, we see four people in there now. What? And they were delivered. That doesn't always happen, of course. Sometimes we do have to go through, and the Apostle Paul will tell you, sometimes you do have a thorn in the flesh, and it doesn't go away. But he will provide. He will sustain. God of heaven is always worthy of our trust. I think also growing by faith. Uh, when we exercise faith, it helps us to grow spiritually because it glorifies God. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, We live by faith and not by sight. I'm never going to see God until I die. I mean, I don't expect to see him in a physical form now. I don't expect to see an angel. I might someday. Uh, you know, who knows? God can do what he wants. But I'm not expecting it. I'm not demanding it. Some people demand that from God. Show me yourself. Show me an angel. Show me proof. But yet, this text and throughout the New Testament, blessed are those who what? Have not seen and still believe. I remember the 12 spies of Moses sent into the land of Canaan, Numbers 13. Ten came back and said, we don't want to go in there. We felt like grasshoppers. 
because they're giants. Those spies walked by sight, not by faith. But Joshua and Caleb, they said, God is on our side, let's go in. They believed that they could overcome. They knew that God would be there. Ten, ten of them didn't think that God could handle the circumstances, but two of them knew that God was sovereign over all circumstances. That, to me, is growing by faith. Trusting God, I think, means that you believe that God is sovereign over every circumstance. Everything. Anything. doesn't matter. Whether it's an illness or a financial difficulty or a prodigal child or marital infidelity, whatever it is, you believe that God is over all circumstances. You believe he can accomplish what he wants to do. Do we then trust God? Are we like Abraham? Who did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. If you want to grow spiritually, believe God's word and trust him through every situation. Second, bearing fruit. I think another key, not only trusting God is the first key. You can't trust God, you'll never move forward. But the second key, I think, in growing spiritually is bearing fruit. Uh, the verse that comes to mind, obviously, is John 15. You can't think of growing without that analogy of the vine and the branches to describe the relationship that you and I have with God. Spiritually, we're one with him. We produce fruit because Jesus' life flows through us. Verse 8 in John 15 says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Fruitfulness glorifies God and therefore energizes. Why? Because it's the evidence of his power at work through us. We can point to it ourselves. I'm not, I'm not worried about producing fruit so that you might know. Honestly, I'm not. Because there'll always be people who don't believe that you're as mature as you are or that you're living up to your word. They'll, they'll call you all sorts of things, either faking or hypocrite, or, or they just don't like you, and no matter what you do, you'll never do anything good enough. So I don't worry about other people. I quit worrying about other people a long time ago. I look at those developments, and I, I see God in me, and that's what I need. I don't necessarily need it so you will know. I need it so that I know, that I develop and I grow. It's evidence for me. Christians can be at, at many different levels of bearing fruit in their lives. I don't, I, don't think, I, don't, I don't think there's a fruitless Christian. Now, maybe it's a little bitty fruit, you know. Uh, we, man, we planted strawberries over the years in the backyard. And Teresa's, you know, planted them in a planter, and we bought those strawberry pots, you know, where you stick them in the side. We've done all sorts of things because we like strawberries. You know, in some years, you'll come in the house, look, I've got a little bit of strawberry. You know, there's a little bitty dinky strawberry. Never really gets much bigger than that. And boy, they're sure bitter, but, you know, still they're a little bitty. And then some years, it's like, oh, we didn't do anything, and they're this big. You know, what did I do? What didn't I do? I think maybe in our lives it's like that, that maybe they're a little bitty sometimes in the spiritual growth. But I think if you're a Christian, you're going to be growing, developing fruit in some way. We lived over here off of um, uh, 51. And uh, we rented a house, and in the back of the house was an apple tree. Uh, you know, it, we lived there a number of years, and 
it was a wild apple tree. It wasn't, you know, one that was great. You, know, you look at it, and they're kind of funny shapes sometimes. You know, there's apples. Some years, I mean, there weren't enough to, to feed everybody at church. We were bringing, you know, apples to church, going, look, we just don't want these to rot on the ground and, you know, have all the, the insects and, and bees and stuff. So here, please take them. And then the next year, there would be hardly anything enough to make a pie out of. But, you know, I never found a pear on that tree. It was always an apple tree. It always was an apple tree. There was something there to prove that it was an apple tree. It was not some other kind of tree. I think Christians can be like that, exhibiting little evidence maybe belonging to God, but God wants them to grow and produce, he says, much fruit. The fruit we bear is the manifestation of the character that we have in trusting God. God wants us to present himself to the world. He wants to show the world. And that fruit produced in us helps them to believe. I hope that what I do is so fruitful that other people see in my life spiritual kinds of fruit. I think there are a couple of kinds of fruit. I think, first of all, there's action fruit. Action fruit. It's the first kind of spiritual fruit that that is an and this is in no particular order, but it leads others to Christ. I think Paul says uh, in, in Romans 1, I do not want you to be unawares, brothers, that I have planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might be, have a harvest or fruit, in the King James Version it says, among you, just as I have among the other Gentiles. What is the harvest or fruit he's referring to? Converse. People who came to know the Lord in this case. So in, in this case, the spiritual fruit he's talking about is people who have believed in Jesus Christ. He wanted to win people to Christ. I think action fruit includes leading others to Christ. And that's a product of our life. Or I hope it's a product of our life. That we really draw people to him. I think a second element of action fruit is giving. In Philippians, uh, they had sent to Paul... A generous love gift. In Philippians 4.17, he told them that he appreciated this when he said, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Over the years, there have been people who have wanted to give to my family because I was in the ministry. And some of those people, I felt, had less money than I had. And it was difficult for me sometimes to accept the gift I was getting from them because I felt like they needed it more than me. But I, like Paul, have discovered that it was their gift to God. It's not really to me. They were trying to bless God's ministry. And they saw me as the person they wanted to do that through. And so I learned to be able to accept those gifts from people because it was to their account. See that? It's not Mike. And take it for me like, oh, look, God, somebody gave me money. I, I, I did a good job. That's not it. It's that they were willing to give, and because they were willing to give to God's ministry, it was to their account. I think that's a sign of spiritual fruit because giving is a fruit. It should not have to be coerced. 
especially when we look at inside the church. When, you, when you're filled with the Spirit and you're committed to glorifying God, I think you give voluntarily and generously. You know, the Bible says hilariously, you know, that you're so joyful in giving. You can give without love, but you certainly can never love without giving. Not the Lord. So giving to God, I think, is an evidence of the expression of bearing, bearing fruit. The third element, I think, of action fruit is expressing thanks to God. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that confess his name. Saying thanks to God, I think, is a fruit. It's another product of his work in you. The, the fourth element of action fruit is pleasing the Lord. 1 Corinthians, or, or excuse me, Colossians 1.10 says, And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. That we please God, that we seek to please, we find out what God wants and we do that and that pleases him. And we grow spiritually. I think one way in which we please the Lord in our, our ministry to him is that we're involved in some sort of service to the Lord. That we don't just sit in a pew, th that we choose to serve him in some way. And, and, and I don't necessarily mean to serve on some committee, although that is certainly a way to serve the Lord. But that we find a ministry that something blesses someone else other than us. Are you involved in the ministry or do you say I'm too busy or I'm too old or I, I don't have enough skills or whatever? I'm too busy is certainly a common excuse. I've got a lot going on. But that's not, a, not an excuse that works. Not being involved in ministry robs you of spiritual growth. If you're not doing something for the Lord, I think you can't grow as much for the Lord. It's bearing fruit. Any good work, any action fruit, I think, from leading someone to Christ, from giving a gift, from thanking God to pleasing him, that helps us to grow spiritually. I think there's not only action fruit, there's attitude fruit. The second kind of spiritual fruit is attitude fruit. Galatians says in 5.22, you know this verse well, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are fruit of the Spirit. We talk about that. They're attitudes, though, aren't they? They're attitudes. I, I mean, and, you know, I go to the grocery store and I see somebody in line, can I help you, you know? No, I don't think you can. <laughs> I don't think you want to help me. I certainly don't feel like you can help me. Is there somebody else who can help me? That's what I want to say because it's obvious they don't want to help me. How can we, uh, that was a good one apparently. <laughs> How can we as Christians do the same to the world and expect a different response. Fruit of the Spirit is, is looking at this attitude in which we live our lives, the spirit in which we produce that love and that joy and that patience and that peace, the long-suffering long gentleness and self-control. If we have that, we really can help people, I think. Unfortunately, many people who think they are serving God do it with a wrong attitude. When they tell Jesus at judgment that they did many wonderful works in his name, Matthew 7, 22, he will say, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I think those people 
are the people who say they're Christians but don't exhibit fruit of the Spirit, the attitude. It's just not there. Man, I have seen a lot of those people in church over the years. You know, just like, why are you even here? You wonder why they're even at church because the attitude they display seems to be a confrontation and argument and, you know, nitpicking. And it's like, that's not, that's not fruit of the Spirit. How do we get the right attitude? How do we become characterized by love and joy and peace and long-suffering? How do we do that? Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We then have to yield control to God's Spirit. We have to get out of the way and let God live in us. And not try to control our own lives, but let God control through us. I think that's how we develop that attitudinal fruit within ourselves. So, I think the total quality of, of organizations that do things right have a goal have many goals I think some of their goals are to do 100% right by the customer it's like it's, it's not the attitude that says eh you know if they come in and buy something great no they want everybody to be happy that comes into their store I think they want everybody happy uh, 100% of the time not just part of the time is 99% good enough? Or, or do we live, need to live it 100% of the time through action and through attitude? Is two out of three good enough for Christ? Well, I got two out of three, God. Is that good enough? I don't think so. He wants more from us. No electric service for 14 minutes a day. Would that be okay? What if all of a sudden, just sometime during the day, they turned your power off? What if it's while you're trying to make dinner or wash dishes? Or, or maybe you have a CPAP machine and it turns off right when you lay down at night. Is that, is that acceptable? 1.7 million pieces of first-class mail are lost each day. <laughs> is that really acceptable? 35,000 newborn babies dropped by nurses each year. Is that really acceptable? No, no, for all those people that are going, no, no. 200,000 people getting the wrong medication from the pharmacy, is that acceptable? Really? Three misspelled words on the average page of type. Well, that just bugs the far out of me, you know. Two million people dying from food poisoning each year, is that really, is that really okay? No, none of those are okay. What we need is 100% on all those numbers, don't we? I think God wants 100%. He doesn't want any half-hearted. How do I know that? Well, Revelation tells me that. You were lukewarm, and I spewed you out of my mouth. You were neither hot nor cold. You were just halfway. God does not want half of our lives. He wants 100%. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and ask you to be with us. Help us to trust you and to develop spiritually through action and through attitude. We pray right now, Father, that we would seek the fruit of the Spirit in our life by getting out of the way and letting the Spirit flow through us. By being connected to you, 
reading your word and doing what it says, in that way we can find two more keys to growing spiritually. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Okay. So, what things...